You ever feel that way? Um, good morning. Welcome. Good to see you. Um, I'm happy to be here uh, up with you all. I work here at church. If you guys don't know me, I'm Mike. And I'm excited to come to you and share with you as we finish up this series in the first, like, three-fourths of Romans chapter 3. Um, been a little bit of a crazy morning. The late start was my fault because my PowerPoint was so messed up. It may as well have like a virus, but we're using a Mac, so it doesn't work. I can't use that excuse. But it was really bad. And so I apologize for the late start, but uh, my wife said, no, it's good. I got to talk to all these people. And, well, I'm glad. Um, it's, been, it's been a crazy week. It's been a good week. There's been some really amazing and um, semi-miraculous things happen, and I, I can't really get into all of them, but um, like even uh, just yesterday, yesterday alone, uh, Casey, my wife, went to a yard sale or a thrift store of some sort, a thrift store, and um, they had um, this, these rugs for sale, and she's like, these rugs are beautiful, I'm going to take them, and they're dirty, I'll get them clean. So she, she threw them in the back of her car, and she went to go show her mom and pick her up because the, the rug store, the, the cleaners was near where her mom lives, and her mom goes, how much did you get this rug for? And she said, $4. She said, well, brand new, it's worth 10000 And we're like, what? <laughs> right? <laughs> and I was like, sell it! Um, <laughs> And I, I text my parents, and my dad's like, sell it. So uh, yeah, the apple, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And then, um, and then I go to pick up this bookshelf at, in North Park to buy this thing. And, and we're like, man, we really need to get like a washer dryer that's like stacked, but not like the one unit, but the two units that you then stack. And but those are like it's like two thousand dollars. And I pick up this twenty-five dollar bookshelf, and these people are like, you want some space heaters? And I'm like, sure. And then they said, we're trying to sell these for like it's like seven hundred. I mean, this is so cheap. Like all these things keep happening. We keep falling into this, and I'm like, we should go buy a lottery ticket, because um, things are going really well, but don't, don't buy a lottery ticket, um, especially college students, don't buy lottery tickets, uh, really, but it's funny, because even in that, I'm like relapsing into this, like, uh-oh, I said, either we should go, I told Steve this morning, we should either go buy a lottery ticket, or I'm going to get cancer this week, like, one or the other, like, it's either a really good thing's going to happen, and we're just on a roll, or something really bad. And, and as I said that, obviously joking, and that's cancer's never joke, but um, it just struck me, like, oh, I'm lapsing into this thinking of, like, this is very earthly, worldly, the law, the uh, works thinking of, like, I, like, what have I done lately to deserve all this good fortune? Or, now that I've had this great, I don't know, karma or luck, it's probably going to turn the other way, right? Um, and so it's just so funny to be, even in the midst of a lot of blessing and being like, God, thank you, like, we don't deserve it, you're so good, keep it coming. Um, then also like, but I don't want to get too excited because probably really bad news is coming. But again, that has nothing to do with the Father that I know in, in God and in, through Jesus. It has to do with me relapsing into this normal normal way of thinking. And I think in so much of our life, it's so easy, if you're a Christian, to lapse into the way of thinking like everyone else. It's so easy uh, for those who have tasted of the sacred and tasted of the goodness of the gospel to sink back into, I mean, secular is a rough word, but just like the normal, secular, just normal way of thinking. What have I done to deserve this? Nothing. Is it going to get worse? Like, well, no, not necessarily. It's so difficult sometimes to maintain this approaching life and others and stuff and marriage and, uh, and not being married and work through just living like everyone else. 
And, as, and if you know Jesus, if, if you believe in the word of God, we are called to something else. And I want to talk about that this morning, specifically in how we relate to other people. So I want to pray, and, uh, and we'll jump into to Romans chapter 3. So let's pray. Father, um, you're so good, and thanks that I get to stand up here and just pray right now, even just for my own heart and my own mind. Um, quiet, quiet my heart and my mind, and, and may we just see your text, may it be clear, and as we jump into this metaphor we're going to talk about, um, just use it. Use it for your sake and for the sake of others and for the sake of San Diego. Um, all to the glory of your name. So please be here. I pray in your name. Amen. So we're in Romans 3, and we're finishing up this series called Us Versus Them, How Faith Trumps Identity. And uh, even if it's your first week here, in fact, AJ, Campus Outreach, where are you guys at? Campus Outreach? What, what? Woo, holla. Um, sorry. Uh, this is a new crew, right? This is your first week here. I think you're at some other small, weird Redeemer church. They're great. Uh, I used to work there. I used to work there, so I, I can make fun. Um, they're up at Redeemer, and now they're here for four weeks, I believe-ish, so welcome. We're excited you guys are here. And uh, so if it's your first week here like them or anyone else, um, I want to I bring you up to speed. So as the people of God, it, it was natural for the Jews to be tempted to use his word and their own attempts at obedience to separate themselves from those who were different than them. It was natural and very human for them to compare themselves, us versus them. Look at how I live compared to you, both from the Jew to the Gentile, the, the unbeliever, and also within the ranks, right? Well, I, uh, I actually did my devotions four days in a row this week, and uh, I noticed you didn't. It's very easy to kind of to lapse back into this works righteousness, not as a sense of, if you hear the term works righteousness, it's a pretty churchy word, not just in the sense of, oh, I proved myself to be saved, but I proved myself to leverage how I think about you. So Romans 3, 1 to 18, up to this point in the text, Paul is hammering home these two ideas that I'm, I'm going to talk about. Um, and we'll get to 19 in just a second. So Romans 3, 1, Paul says, is there any advantage to being a Jew? Is there any advantage to being close to God, to knowing the gospel for us? And in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, yes, of course, we get God. It's a great thing to be raised, to be in this building, to be here now. You have access to the word. You have access to a terrific preacher. You have access to, to, to the Lord, to God. You're close. Like, you're in. It's great to be a Jew. It's great to be a Christian, we would say now. That's awesome. Good for you. Because of the gospel, because of who God is. That's why it's great. You have access to God. And then in verse 9, he says, are we Jews any better off? than those who don't have access to God. So it's great to be to have this access to the oracles of God, to have access to God. But are we any better off? And he goes, no, not at all. Because both Jews and Greeks, or non-Jews, Gentiles, both Jews and non-Jews struggle with sin. We both live in a broken and fallen world. We both live in broken and fallen bodies. And so Paul then quote six verses from Psalms and one from the book of Isaiah to, to show that all have sinned, not just the Gentiles, not just the pagans, not just them, us. Everyone has. In fact, um, a few verses later in Romans 3, he makes the famous statement, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he's building up to this thing. So to hammer on these two points really quick, 
I put it this way, compared to others, are we, people of the church, people who believe in Jesus, are we any better off because we're saved? Sure, of course, we get Jesus. Hallelujah, we have the gospel, we have hope, we have forgiveness, we have peace. What a great thing. But compared to others, are we any better because of these things? No. It's the grace of God in the gospel that gives us access to these inc this incredible fruit, this new life that we have. So the table's been set, and we now look at Romans 3, verse 19 and 20, and that's our text for this morning. So Paul's made these, or is it better off to be a Jew? He's like, of course. Or are we better off? Like, not at all. It's the same thing. Verse 19 and 20, wrapping up this section for Paul. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. In order to drive home this idea that everyone is under sin, Paul invokes this phrase, the law. So in 19, he starts talking about the law. It's the first time in chapter 3 Paul's brought up the law. He ended chapter 2 with it. And there's something really interesting about it. So we said he was just quoting Psalms and Isaiah, and he starts saying the law is what we're under. And that's what shows us we're still under the law. So technically to note, the Jews would usually refer to the law about the first five books, right, of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Because that's where the law, specifically in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, was held. That's also where the Ten Commandments. We think law, you think commandments, you think duties, you think obedience, you think sacrifices, ceremonial, purification, civil law. The law is, it's the law, right? But Paul invokes the Psalms, part of the wisdom literature, and Isaiah, the prophets, to make this point that we are all under the law. So he expands the scope of this indicting truth of the law to the entire Old Testament. What benefit is it to be a Jew, to have access to the oracles, the truth of God, which actually works as the law? So for the people that were the religious or the Jews in this case, using their own standard of obedience to feel safe, because you could hear the Jew saying when Paul says, are we any better off? Well, of course not. And the Jew would quickly say, or the religious person in our context would quickly say, well, what do you mean I'm no better off than anyone else? course I am. I'm faithful. I go to church. I read my Bible. I follow the Ten Commandments. Look at my obedience. Like the rich young ruler, right? In every way I've done these and I've not sinned. I'm really good. As Christians, we have this tendency to do that, right? We have this tendency to be like, well, that person just really needs to start making some better decisions, don't they? Or this person, they, they really, they're a priester. They come to Christmas and Easter only. We call those CEOs sometimes, Christmas, Easter only. Right, they only come to church twice a year. I am a much better Christian. It's really easy to start doing this comparing and contra contrasting within the, con the context of um, our own walk, our own spiritual life. And Paul uses scripture to say to the Jews that he's arguing about in Romans 3, look at the entire work of the Old Testament. What's the storyline? You're created to be in a relationship with God. You're made in the image of God. You're made in this perfect harmony with God. You're walking with him in beauty and perfection in the garden. And with it's Adam and Eve. And then the fall comes, and that's all destroyed. But then I, I, I continue to woo you and win your heart and redeem you. And we have the Exodus where I'd say, you are my people. I am your God. Here's how to love me. Here's Exodus. Here's Leviticus. Here's do these things to love me. And what's the rest of the Old Testament? Rebellion. 
It's rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. And, Jesus, and God's saying, no, 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 turn back. Come back to me. Come back to me. I want you. I want your heart. Go with me. And it's rebellion after rebellion after rebellion after rebellion. And yet the Jews, the, Jews, the religious folks in this text are saying, but I'm way better than those other people because I still follow portions of the law or what's convenient for me to follow. The Jews were under the whole revelation of the Old Testament was written for the people of God, and it tells this story. And yet, as religious, it's easy for us to start claiming scriptures so we can look down on other people. I think we can tend to do that as well. We'll expand on that in a second. Verse 19 says, it speaks to, the law speaks to those who are under the law, or the Old Testament speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. This phrase, every mouth may be stopped, it's a courtroom term. And it literally means no one has any defense before God. So the religious person hears this indictment and says, How, why are you saying that I'm no better off than someone who, who doesn't know the gospel or doesn't know religion or doesn't know God? How, how, how could you say that? And he says, well, if you read the rest of the Bible, if you read the whole story and you put your own self in there and you see how broken you are, Without Christ, you have no defense. It will stop your mouth. And, and, and our reaction when we're like, yeah, God, but I've been really good at... Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, but I... Mm. Sometimes when I um, talk to my two-year-old daughter, Winnie, I, I wish I could just be like, your mouth has now been stopped, young daughter. And it, do <laughs> it, it doesn't actually work for her. Um, every mouth has been stopped. What has it been stopped from? What, what the defense that the natural religious, the religious, religious person is making is, but I'm better than them. We are better than them. Whoever the we is, whoever the them is, we're better. We believe better. We behave better. We act better. We smell better. We're just better. And Paul, using scripture, says, no, we're not. In verse 19 that it stops our mouth, the big point for this morning is, I think what he says to us is, stop comparing yourself to others. That's the point this morning. <laughs> stop comparing yourself to others. In the Old Testament, it's revealed that the, uh, obviously we see that the Jews are in relationship with God and they have the whole entire scripture to tell them how to walk with and live with and for God. And then in Romans 1, earlier in this letter, it says that all of nature re reveals to all of mankind, in fact, this exact same indictment, that they've fallen short, that they struggled, that we're just not, without Christ, we're not enough. And so we too, like the Jews of Paul's day, are tempted to look at this us versus them lens. Even though we know we're not supposed to, we have these things we hear about, like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not supposed to, to, to compare myself. But the problem is, I think, that thing I was talking about in the beginning, about how we live like everyone else and naturally, it's so easy for us to compare the shortcomings or downfalls of others to our identity, to who we are, to how we behave, so that we can think that we're doing quite well. It's so easy to do that. So how do we do this? That's where our, our title this morning about the lifeboat factors in. 
in Donald Miller's uh, book, Searching for God Knows What, in case you don't believe me that that's a book, I have it in my hand. It's right here. Um, he writes about this question he was asked by a teacher when he was growing up. And it was, I was young, maybe elementary school, and it was about values clarification. And the question goes like this. If there's a lifeboat adrift in the sea, and there's a male lawyer, a female doctor, a crippled child, a garbage man, and a stay-at-home mom, and one person had to be thrown overboard to save the others, who would you throw over and why? So the scenario is you have to make the choice and explain. One of our people's a social worker and I started to like, like started looking at his face just now, like, that's a terrible thing to ask. It is. Which one dies so the other can live? So this morning, thankfully, we're not going to argue that point because there's nothing redemptive about it. Um, but if you think about it for a second, if you were in a lifeboat like that, having to make the case for why you should stay and another should go, why you should live and someone else should not, what would you say? And before we get all too postmodern and inclusive and be like, well, I would figure out how to ration the, f the food for everyone and we would all live together, just, just go with me from this scenario for a while. I think it'll be useful. Um, can you imagine sitting before a group of people being forced to justify yourself to them out loud? Can you imagine that? What, what would you say? I, I'm better at, you know, I have a history of, or I've, I was once raised in a raft, and so I should do this as well. Um, can you imagine that scenario? I, I can um, and it's because I do it every day. Donald Miller and the Bible and Jesus and the Holy Spirit have shown me I do this every day. I, I make up lifeboat, some lifeboat ridiculous scenario, and I imagine the people I'm interacting with, not literally in the lifeboat, figuratively, and I'm comparing, contrasting why I am worthy and they are not. People I know, people I love, Strangers walking by on the street that I glance at as I'm driving. And I constantly, because I know this because for the last three weeks I've been thinking about this and praying about this. <laughs> it's not good news, people. Um, I constantly evaluate and judge and compare and contrast and how am I measuring up? Us, not even us versus them, me versus them. All the time. So chapter 3, Paul uses this Old Testament to make the case about people who sin and struggle. And his goal in 19 and 20 is to stop the objection of the religious Jew or any religious person who's tempted to say, well, I'm a good person. I kept the rules. Or at least I'm not as bad as them. Because that's how we tend to sink back into this us versus them thinking. It's lifeboat thinking. We're constantly making a case about why we measure up. And it starts as young kids. Do you kind of remember the time when this begins? It's, it's probably different for all of us. At kindergarten, first, second, junior high, it's pretty harsh. We learn who's cool and who isn't. The first time you realize that the way your mom dressed you was not, not a good idea. You know, do you remember that day? Um, we all have those moments in a check. A junior high is brutal. When you became the butt of the joke, when you were the one on the outside, and this is pecking order, and it's constant. And it's easy now to be like, yeah, junior high was terrible, and high school was, was even worse and in some ways. It starts out as this social exercise, and even looking back, it's like, haha, yeah, it was really hard. I didn't like it, or it was really tough, but I've gotten over it, gosh. 
But the reality is that from that time on throughout life, the size of the lifeboat, the scenarios, the people in the lifeboat change. And yet the scenario stays the same because we keep asking the question, how do I compare it to you? How do you compare it to me? Am I worthy? Are you? Are they? But we don't always think about it in those terms. Like it's, it's buried down deep enough we think, oh, it's just, it's just, I'm just thinking about, you know, that's bad fashion. Or that's just, you know, they just, I just can't stand. I taught uh, third to fifth grade last week upstairs, and um, for some reason I brought up that I was a Dodgers fan. Hold your, hold your tongue. No applause, thank you. And, uh, and the kid was like, you're a Dodgers fan, get out of here. And this, like, fifth grader went off on me and, like, lambasted me. How dare you, oh, you front runner. But I'm like, I went to the World Series in 1988 with the Dodgers. Like, that's my favorite team. You, blah. He had all these categories, like, fifth grade. And then I talked to his dad, and he's like, yeah, he's a Cubs fan this year. I'm like, what? They just won the World Series, if you don't know that, sports people. Um, so he's a frontrunner, and he's making fun of me for being a Dodger. I don't know. He's like this label he has, this whole case and argument that he's made up about anyone who roots for this team is bad because these people, the Dodgers, I mean, the Padres are good. Come on. Uh, so, sorry. I want the Padres to be good theologically. I root for this city. I rooted for the Chargers theologically. I want the city to do well. There are some lost causes in the kingdom. I'm just saying, um, theology of sports for me. But uh, yeah, so stick to my dog. Go Dodgers. Um, we're on a tear right now. We're really well, actually. But uh, we have these categories that even the fifth graders are lambasting their, you know, respected teachers about the sports team that I root for, even though he just switched teams from the Cardinals to the Cubs, and he's from San Diego. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> What we're talking about is not a difference of opinion. What I'm talking about is not a difference of conviction. It's not to say I believe there is one God and one truth and it takes Jesus to get to, get to heaven. That's not what I'm talking about. I want to explain to you um, that we need to stop comparing ourselves to others and I want to show to you how we do it. We do it in a lot of specific ways. And it, it, we can talk about it for hours, I believe. If you get in on this, if you buy into this metaphor, and, and I really do, obviously, uh, religion. We religious folks have the tendency to look down on others because they're not as good as us. We Christian folks have this tendency to look down on non-Christians, lately especially Muslims, because they're not as good as us. I'm not saying we disagree with the truth. I'm not saying that I, I can say I, I don't think that your system is working. I'm not saying I don't think this is the only one way to God. That's, I believe all those things. But it doesn't mean I can just dismiss them in order to feel better about myself, that I cannot consider their lives for any non-Christian. What about even within Christendom, right? Well, I'm Reformed, and you're simply an evangelical. Does that sound familiar? I'm a Presbyterian, and you're a Catholic. Are you those charismatic and those silly gifts? It's, we get, it's easy. It's built in to get really condescending really quickly. Or, you know, well, now I'm a Calvinist. And, like, well, were you three years ago? Well, no, no, not at all. By, I can't stand those non-Calvinists, you know, and you're like, wait, just, weren't you in the progress like three years ago? We start leveraging and building this pecking order of, well, there's this, is, I think, is 100% true, and they're, they're kind of true, and the Mormons are way over there, and, and this is this, and we have all these categories. I'm not talking about conviction. I'm not talking about faith. I'm not talking about truth. I'm talking about I am better than you because you have not figured out what I figured out, thanks to the grace of God, right? We, we skip that part. The grace of God works in our heart to grow us, to inform us, to learn us, to teach us theology, to rid us of us versus them thinking. Religious folks have the tendency to look down on others because we think they are not good as us, even within our own ranks, if you will. 
I want to start there because the second one I think is, is, is so ingrained and I think it's really hard, and it's beauty. We've created a points system of worth based on how we or others look. Uh, when my wife Casey was traveling, um, long before I knew her, she was teaching in Taiwan, uh, English as a second language, and she took a trip into Vietnam. And, and, she, and while in Vietnam, there was these people, um, these uh, sewers or whatever, I, clearly I'm not into fashion, people who make garments, uh, like custom, uh, custom garments and fabrics, and, Casey, and they said, we'll make anything you want. And it was a great deal, it was, and it was silk and all this cool stuff. And Casey starts putting, and she's very colorful, my wife, and she was putting together all these new patterns and things, and, and they had some, some broken English, and they would just look at her and be like, bad fashion, bad fashion. The whole, everything, she's like, I want this, like, bad fashion. She's like, just make it, I like it, you know? Um, and so it became this, like, funny joke within her family. We still say it sometimes, like, you see someone who's outfit, or if I walk out and I've got, like, checkers and stripes and whatever, you know, and you're just like, bad fashion, bad fashion. But it's not just bad fashion, right? There's, again, it's fine to say I don't want to wear cargo pants anymore. Um, it's, that's okay, there's nothing, or you, if I want to, that's also okay. Um, it's proportion, it's, it's fitness, it's, it's, our, it's what, do, what do my lips look like, it's our hairlines, it's our, we buy into this lie that beauty and appearance and fashion and looks determine value. It's not, I think this is beautiful, I think that isn't. That's fine, that's innocuous. It's this person is worthy and this person is not. How dare they wear that out in public? And we do it every day. We walk around with these lenses evaluating ourselves. And again, you see the difference. We're not talking about difference of opinion on fashion. We're talking about placing worth, us versus them. I would never hang out with them because they look like that. And there's a nasty underbelly to this lifeboat thing because as we're sitting there in this group of people and evaluating, do I look better? Do they look better than me? Am I? That guy works out. He works out too much. His life is out of balance. And it's my job to think that. And this person over here, or gosh, that guy looks, or that girl is so beautiful and I'm not. That guy looks and, and I'm just, I wish I had that. And that nasty, there's, it goes both ways, right? It's not just I feel better about myself compared to you. It's I feel worse about me because of them. Half the time or more, we don't measure up. And so we're stuck in this life of comparison and it kills us from being who we were created to be. And it kills our ability to engage with others based on these like surface beauty, fashion related things. Um, politics, I'm not gonna go into this for real long. This one's pretty easy. Um, you're a Republican and I have a tendency to look down on you because I'm a Democrat. Or you're a, I'm a, a Republican and you're a Democrat and I'm better than you because I believe whatever. And a libertarian, pfft, independence, pfft. like we have all these categories and we've already, been the, we've, we've already presented the cases, the judge, the, the jury, the verdict. We've condemned everyone else who doesn't agree with us and we've probably moved our position in the last 20 years. Or we probably should have, <laughs> right? And yet, us versus them, I'm better than you, you're, you're, you're an idiot, how could you think that? Are you kidding me? And we cut family out of our lives. I mean, this, this election was brutal. I was actually happy to be an independent for once, it was wonderful. It was tough. 
Because the rhetoric was so big and we could not, I mean, talk about policy, talk about ideas. But every time it got and still gets personal, me too. And the last one I'll talk about, so religion, beauty, politics, and there's a ton. This is the one I think that encapsulates a lot how we do this comparing others that we constantly do to evaluate and value ourselves is rightness. Rightness. Miller talks about, have you ever talked to a friend about a movie or a show that you love? And you're just like, oh, I just saw the new season of, and it's so amazing. And they're like, I hate that show. And you're like, what? How dare you hate my favorite show or movie? And you start to get in like this tit for tat argument. No, you don't, the character, and, that's, and the, the, you just, you don't appreciate good writing. You don't see how like this is coming and this meta narrative and the symbolism. And they're like, this thing's terrible and the acting was awful and it was boring and I didn't, and it gets heated about a TV show. Why? Because I have to be right. Because if I'm not right, <gasps> I'm not right. Ever have someone cut in front of you at the uh, at like a Starbucks or a Dark Horse? What happens? You could boil some coffee right inside you. Like you were just like, Ugh. that might be the best caffeine you need. Go to a Starbucks, get someone to cut in front of you. You get so angry, you just you're done. You have enough energy. You're fine for the rest of the day. Because they wasted two minutes of your life by perhaps not seeing you and stepping in front of line. Or maybe they're just a jerk. I don't know. Okay, it's two minutes. But I was right. I was there. This is, this is justice from God. I was first. This is righteous anger. And this is the one that I struggle with probably more. If you get cut off or someone doesn't use a turn signal and it costs you like a third of a second of your life, how dare you? I hate you. You're the worst. Ah! And then you start like, have you seen like videos like road rage? People like killing each other because someone cut someone off. We do this because I'm right. And I have the right to be right because, uh, because it's so important. It's the most important thing. So as we are all interacting and observing others and we're constantly evaluating, and those are just some levels, it's as if we're in that lifeboat and making this case. You cut me off so you don't deserve to live. You, you did this. You have bad fashion. You have great fashion. I hate you for it. You watch the Kardashians, which is probably valid. Don't watch that. Uh, but you do this. You do that. And we just evaluate and leverage and whatever. That's how we do it. That's how our comparison. That's how this. It's like a dialogue in our head. It's not a monologue because it's like I think it's. We have like multiple, I don't know, do you, I have like all these voices in my head. They're bad, no, you should love them. They're bad, you shouldn't do this. Ah, and it's like freaking out. So why do we do this? Why? Verse 20 says, For the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So here it is. Um, as we have known Jesus and walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus, and if you know the Lord and you're reading this word and you see how far you've fallen, the entire Old Testament has pointed to this, that we have this beautiful intent, we're supposed to live with God. And again, if you're here and it's Christian this morning, you've, you've come to this place, you've said, it isn't working, I need help, Jesus save me. And so you turn to the gospel and you pray and he saves you and it's beautiful, right? 
and he justifies you. And we're going to start a whole new series on this uh, next week, and it's really good from Romans 3 moving forward. Um, we realize at this time, oh, there's something broken with me and the Lord, and so I go to Christ, and I believe that he died for me and rose again, and I pray, and I receive all of these incredible benefits and forgiveness and hope and restoration, and it's beautiful until someone cuts me off at Starbucks. What happens, I think, is that um, we believe, at least for a time or maybe always, that we have been justified and that our vertical relationship with God is good and right. And then we forget. And instead we start focusing here. And it doesn't, maybe we don't feel right. Maybe we don't feel good enough. Maybe we don't feel like we measure up. We don't feel, we're not walking, we're not walking in the Lord. Because no, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we realize that um, there's times in our life when we don't feel like we're justified in the eyes of God. And so therefore we revert to having to justify ourselves in the eyes of others. So if this relationship is broken before we become a Christian or after, if there's anything in the way and our identity is not fully about this Godward sonship, daughtership that we receive from, from Christ, we then have to turn to our neighbor, we then have to turn to the person walking down the street and cast judgment to feel that taste of like glory and oneness and strength and power. We have to evaluate this because this doesn't feel right. And that's why I would say it's called, the, the title was The Lifeboat from Hell. So here's the picture, right? Um, what, b- before you come to know Christ or after you come to know Christ, if there's something disrupting our relationship with God, let's say that's like the cruise liner and we're on the, the boat with God, not to get too far down the, the metaphor. But when that's broken and we're kind of thrown overboard and we're in this like sea of despair, the only way we can think of to feel better than ourselves as we're trying to float out there is to crawl up in this raft and find people to feel, to, to like, to, we, we go, this will be my salvation. If I'm better than you, it's better than being alone in despair. If I'm better than you in religion, if I'm better than you in politics or in beauty or in rightness or in anything, it's better than just being all alone and in despair because something feels broken in me. So I feel better about myself by doing this. Um, we have this, this tendency to look down on others um, because they're different, us versus them, right? I'm educated, you're not. I'm a Christian, you're not. Presbyterian, we talked about that, right? But Donna Miller points out this thing, that when, you're, when you choose the boat and, the, and there's a majority versus a minority of any kind in the boat, the natural thing to do is then to start kicking out the minority off of the boat. This is where racism comes from. This is where uh, I'm wealthy, you're not. And I, and I go with my wealthy friends and I look down on you because you're not. This is how it naturally happens. Because the herd, it, it feels better to be in a boat of people like me and get rid of the people that aren't like me rather than crossing over the divide and realizing that we're, we're very much all related and, and similar, right? We do this because our relationship with God has been broken. Genesis 1, Genesis 2 got messed up. And the only thing we know how to do is to feel better by comparing ourselves on what other level others so how do we stop um, really quickly uh, 
in college, my, my favorite Bible professor gave me this definition of humility, and I really love it, and I think it speaks to this issue. Um, when we first think humility, we think it as being very negative and very down and like, oh, I'm so, I was humbled. I'm so humble. I've been humbled by God. But if God is this radiant son of goodness and glory and he's inviting us into this relationship, the first time we see God for who he is and kind of the scales fall off and we're like, oh gosh, it's as if we're on this little precipice and he's this gigantic son and we're just right there next to him and we are so small and he is so big. And like in Isaiah 6, we're like, I'm undone. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. And we like get down on our face, start taking our clothes off and our shoes. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm, get, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And we just freak out, right? Because it's so overwhelming the first time we see the magnitude and the glory and the power of God. But then Christ takes us and picks us up and says, you're my son. You're my daughter. I've made you one with the Father. Like, come into relationship. So God does not cease to be so big, but he invites you to stand next to him and bask in his goodness and receive the warmth and the light and everything you need to grow. So that humility is rightly seeing God as this terrifying ball of fire, if you will, but one that we get to cozy up next to and be with and walk with. It's a position of strength. We are still small, but our footing is sure as we stand with Christ in relationship to God. If we could live that way, seeing God as he is and walking with him and experience him, wouldn't that change the way that we relate to others? But instead, if God is just far off and terrifying, or if we're just stuck in the water by ourselves, we start to look out and say, how can I feel better about myself? How can I justify myself? How do I match up? I think the way to stop is to try to go back in the simplest ways and constantly go back day after day, week after week, and grow and learn and return to this foundational humility of seeing God for who he is. Return back to his goodness. Return back to that, that spectacle of how gigantic and enormous and overwhelming he is, and yet how he, he invites us into relationship with him. Get out of the boat. The lifeboat is not for life. It's for death. It's a lifeboat from hell. You're not supposed to be in the boat. And the only way you can do that is to reconnect vertically to God so that your horizontal relationships can be dictated on those terms. That your value and your worth and the glory that you experience comes from God, right? That's the only way. So I invite you, like me, I, I dare you, <laughs> in a way, ask God to show you, do I compare myself to others? Show me. Am I sizing myself up? Show me. And when that happens, confess, God, I'm doing it again. Like I did like 10 times this morning already. I'm doing it again. I repent, God. I believe you've forgiven me. Invite me back into fellowship and help me relate to, with love, my fellow mankind. We need the gospel. We need this hope. We need our identity to trump. We need our faith to trump what we think is our identity outside of Christ. Otherwise, it's still us versus them. Let me pray. Father, um, Thanks for being so good. Thanks for, for Jesus. Thanks for the gospel. Uh, we, we need it so bad. Um, I need it every day. And uh, as we lapse back into this thinking like everyone else, um, that we have to justify ourselves because we've, we, we know we're not justified in front of you when we're honest. 
on our own. Just press into our hearts the goodness of the gospel and of your love for us. Return us again. Um, maybe that's what childlike faith is, God. To simply have eyes for our Father and no one else. Return us again, Father. Give us the strength in humility to stand before you, holding the hand of Christ before your radiant goodness. To bask in that every day, to return to, the, to do whatever it takes to return to that spot so that the way we treat others has been transformed because we have a new identity, a new life through faith in Christ. Shake us. Help us not live like everyone else, but to be your amb ambassadors in this world. We love you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.